All right, there, a few years ago, there's this lyric that Drake said in one of his songs that I really got attached to, okay? Now, to be clear, I don't really listen to Drake. I, don't, I know sometimes, we have, oh, he listens to, no, I, don't, I try not to listen to guys that were on the show Degrassi. Like, I just, I don't listen, I don't really listen to Drake, but there was this lyric in one of his songs uh, that came out that I just really got attached to. It kind of became my excuse and life motto in all sorts of ways. And the lyric was this, I'm here for a good time, not for a long time, okay? So that's like, I'm here for a good time, not for a long time. And this became my life motto, and I say excuse because my friends and my wife and my family, they would say things to me trying to get me to do different things, and I would use this line to not do what they would want me to do. So, you know, for instance, some, some, my friends would come up to me, hey, let's go, let's get, get some lunch together, let's go, let's eat something healthy. And I say, listen, listen, I'm here for a good time, not a long time, okay? We, I'm, we're going to McDonald's, I'm going to McDonald's, like, I'm not going to eat something healthy, right? Or they'll be like, we're spending our free time. Hey, let's, let's go exercise. Let's go hike. Let's go do something. I'm like, listen, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. I'm not going to spend my free time getting more tired. Like, I'm not going to do that with you. Or like, a lot of times, a common one, Anthony, you got to go to bed earlier. You stay up too late. I'm here for a good time. Not a long time. I could sleep in heaven, okay? Like, these are the things that I'd be saying to my friends and family, and they would always just shake their head. There was just something about that lyric that stood out to me, and I kind of used it as a life motto and as an excuse because there's just this part of me that would just rather be doing what feels good all the time. If, I, there's just, if I'm going to be honest, I know most uh, pastors maybe won't admit that, but there's just something about me where I go, I would just rather be doing what feels good and feels right to me all the time. Now, I hope it's obvious, if you've been here more than once, that I don't actually try to live my life that way. I don't really try to use that motto as like an antidote to life or a motto for life. And, and the reason I don't live life that way is because I, I sit under the lordship of Jesus, and under his lordship, what he preaches is basically the opposite of that motto. <laughs> what he preaches is actually what you do with your life is really important. You'll, the way you live life is important. You need to live it intentionally and with eternity in mind. And so as much as I like that motto, I began to realize, like, you realize that that's just not how Christians are called to live. What Jesus and the Bible teaches us is something different, that we are to intentionally, purposely live life. And, he even, and Jesus even teaches that way when it comes to things like worry and money. And so that's what we're going to see today in this part of the series. And so we're in week three, or we, we are in week three of our series, Rich Toward God, but we had to skip a week because of the snowstorm. So we're combining weeks two and three today. And so uh, where we're looking at Luke chapter 12, and Luke chapter 12 uh, it has all these teachings that Jesus is giving about money and how we as Christians are supposed to deal with our money and, and whatnot. And so we've just been looking at what Jesus is teaching us about money in Luke chapter 12 specifically. And so before we get into that, though, what I want to do is I want to suggest four books to read, okay? There, what I realize is money discipleship 
is kind of taboo. It doesn't happen as much. Or a lot of times in the places where money discipleship happens, there's almost a bit too much of an obsession with money, and there's a clear idol being made of money there. And so a lot of us don't like listening to what people are trying to say in order to disciple us around our use of money. And so there's only so many things we could say in a three-week series. And so I wanted to uh, suggest four books to read to kind of help you in your own thinking through what does it mean for you as a Christian to steward your money, to use your money, to deal with your money. And so now listen, I know I get this a lot as a pastor. People will meet with me and they'll have a question and I'll say, here's a little bit of an answer. And I say, then read this book. And I I, I don't like that. And here's what I'm just going to say to that. One, I get it. That's annoying. That's who I am. Two, I do think this. I think all Christians are called to learn about our faith deeply. And, and reading or listening to a book is probably one of the, way, the easiest ways to kind of learn about our faith, too. I wish the world was simple enough that you could just come here on Sundays and I could just give you like these like little pithy sayings and you just go out and live life perfectly and all the complexities of the world didn't affect you, but that's not the case. And especially when it comes to our money, I, I don't think there's, I think I'd have to do a sermon that was a lot more weeks than three in order to help us learn what it means to be faithful and wise with our money as Christians. So that's another reason. And then three, because I suggest so many books, I do want to say this warning to us. Let's not become just learners or hearers of the word and not doers of the word. So even if we end up reading all the books I suggest, but we don't put our faith into practice, we're missing something. And so, uh, th- so those are some caveats when it comes to reading. So here, here are the four books that uh, I, I suggest you guys to pick up. I know you probably won't be able to read all four, but I, w- I would say, hey, if you are a reader and you can read over the next few years all four of these books, this would be great. Um, the first book I'm going to suggest is the one on the far left called The Treasure Principle. Uh, just a really good book, just talking about giving and generosity and and all these kind of money dynamics in the church. It's really short, really easy. I would actually encourage those younger than me especially to read this. What I've noticed in the younger generations, money hasn't been talked about as much, and so I think this is a good place to start. Um, The next book I want to suggest is Practicing the King's Economy. This is a great book that kind of says, okay, Jesus says all this stuff in Luke 12. There's all this other stuff in the Bible about money. How do we put that into practice? How do we live this out? It's a really good book I suggest reading. Um, Following that up, I would also read When Helping Hurts, another really great book that helps us to realize that a lot of our generosity is paternalistic. In the sen- and what that means is we just give to kind of make ourselves feel better, and we don't care about the consequences of how we're giving and what our giving is doing to the people we're be- being generous to. And so really good book that really talks through what, how to help in a way that doesn't hurt. And then finally, just kind of a good, almost like a textbook, but it's really, he's a great author, uh, is Christians in an Age of Wealth by Craig Blomberg. And so I, I just want to suggest those books to you because, again, there's only so much we can cover in a three-week series on money. And so if you're a reader, if you're a learner, I would say read those books. I know some of you already are going, Anthony, I'm barely holding on as it is. And now you're suggesting books at church on Sunday. I have to learn people's names. This is too much for me, Anthony. I'm bar- and again, I would just say a few things. One, some of you are legitimately busy. You're in a legitimate busy season of life right now. And you should not feel guilty about not being able to read uh, a book right now. Like this is not a season of learning for you in this way or in this capacity at least. Second thing I would say, some of you are busy 
but you need to become more disciplined with your life, okay? Like, all of us are busy, but some of us can become more disciplined. And I would just say, look at the screen time, look at those kinds of things, like how much time you spend doing that stuff. Those are easy places to become more disciplined. Uh, And then another category of you, I think, some of you go, Anthony, I'm not a reader. I don't like reading. I would just say that's fine. I would just say, hey, find ways to learn what it means for you to practice God's kingdom in regards to your money that doesn't involve reading because I think there's a lot the Bible has to say about that. So those are the books I suggest. Um, Just a little. I know I don't normally do that in sermons, but I just thought it would be good for this series that there's only so much we could cover on this huge topic. So with that being said, where are we going to go today? Uh, We're going to be reading Luke 12, verses 22 through 24. We're just going to go through that all together, reading that all together. And then uh, there's four things that I want to pull from that passage, four things that Jesus, uh, I think, would be teaching us. And these four things that we're going to pull, they're going to be actually helping us in our efforts to be rich toward God. So if you remember two weeks ago in the first week of the series, Jesus taught this parable about this greedy rich man. And he said, don't be like that guy. Instead, be rich toward God. And how we kind of simply define being rich toward God is loving God and loving your neighbor with the use of your money. And so Jesus continues his teaching to the disciples today. And what we're going to see in this passage are at least four things that will help us in our efforts to be rich toward God. Does that make sense? All right, doesn't it? But that's all right. Well, you're here. So Luke chapter 12, let's hop into it. If you're, not, if you're new to the Bible, you don't understand the Bible, don't know it very well yet. There's kind of two parts of the Bible. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Most of the Bible is the Old Testament, and the New Testament, though, starts off with four accounts of Jesus' life, all trying to teach you different things about Jesus and what he did. So Luke chapter 12, verse 22, I'm going to read the whole passage all at once because I think it just fits better all together like that. So verse 22 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food. And the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such, all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. If your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, let's pause right there. Okay, so four things that I think this passage teaches us that will help us in our efforts to be rich toward God. And uh, 
I'm going to have the four points on the screen. I know that's a little bit different than normal, but they're a little bit longer points. So I was like, I, I should put these on the screen. So the first point, first thing that we can learn from this passage is this. God has joyfully brought you into the kingdom, and that utterly changes your identity. God has brought you into the kingdom joyfully, and that utterly changes your identity. When Jesus talks about money and life and surviving, it's, it's challenging to us because not only does it point out our idols and the ways that we worship money, but sometimes what Jesus is saying, like in this passage, it feels, if I'm honest, a little bit out of touch with reality. And the reason it feels out of touch with reality is because Jesus is speaking towards his kingdom, not the world's kingdoms. He's saying what his kingdom is like, not what the world's kingdoms are like. In the world, you have to survive and fight for survival. And then Jesus says, don't worry, right? Like, but it's because Jesus is talking about his kingdom, not the world's. I love verse 32. The Father has been pleased to bring us into the kingdom. And I'm starting with this point first is because if we are going to be rich toward God truly, if we're going to live out whatever Jesus is commanding there that we saw two weeks ago, it is going to involve a, a, a total shift in how we, change, how we live life in this world. But because it involves an other, a, a total shift in how we live life in this world, we have to be rooted in the fact that Jesus, that God has brought us into his kingdom. We are no longer citizens of this world's kingdoms. We are citizens of his kingdom. That's our true and greater identity. So today, as we talk about how to deal with earthly riches and earthly survival and changing our attitudes towards money and our use of money, we can do it because God's brought us into his kingdom. We don't have to worry about survival because God, in God's kingdom, you don't have to worry about survival. We don't have to worry about what's going to wear out in our life because in God's kingdom, nothing wears out. We don't have to worry about debt. Take that with a grain of salt. Don't apply that in horrible ways because in God's kingdom, there's no debt. So that has to root us. We are in God's kingdom. That's why when Jesus says these things that seem totally out of touch with reality, we can listen because in one sense, our true reality and what is really true is completely different than what it seems in front of us. Sin has marred reality. Jesus shows us what reality really is, okay? So that's the first thing. God has joyfully brought you into his kingdom and that utterly changes your identity, okay? Okay? Uh, second thing that this passage teaches us and, and that will help us be enriched towards God, and I'm going to actually kind of just summarize what last week's sermon, so the whole sermon would have been this point last week. It's, it's this. Being a seeker of what you consume leads to being a captive of worry, and being a seeker of the kingdom leads to a freedom of contentment. Okay, being a seeker of what you consume leads to us being a captive worry. Being a seeker of the kingdom leads to a freedom of contentment. I think in recent years, these passages where Jesus says, don't worry, uh, they've become a bit controversial 
because of how prevalent worry and anxiety is in our culture. I also think they became controversial because in the church, there's kind of like two things that it kind of feels like Christians say and talk when they talk about worry and anxiety in these passages. Like one of the things that's like, they talk about anxiety and worry like it's just like an on-off switch for us. Like you can just, it's like, don't worry, be happy. Like, okay, like, you know, like, like that's it. And if you're not just doing that, like you're sinning in some way. Uh, and then the other thing is like, it feels like a lot of Christians who don't really deal with any major worry or major anxieties in their life, they kind of use verses to, like this to the people that are really anxious and being like, you're a sinner. <laughs> like, like that's, and I wish that wasn't true, but that's what Christians do with these passages. And so there's some kind of things we have to realize about uh, worry and anxiety before we kind of flesh this point out more. But, and I think it's this. I think we can feed worry and even anxiety, but I think we can feed worry at times. But it is important for us to know that Anxiety often pops up inside of us without our control. That, that, Jesus is speaking to what it means to be human. And that's why he's kind of bringing this up. And so I think a lot of times we as Christians, we don't realize it's not a sin to feel anxious. It's not a sin to feel anxious. A lot of times the reasons we feel anxiety or we begin to worry about something, it, it, something is happening in our nervous system. Are these reactions to things in life, there's something, there's a true biological response happening in us that causes us to have worry or anxiety. And the reason that is there is because something happened to us in the past. And, and that, that often we have to understand more, heal from, or even just feel the, the feelings of, of those things in our past before we're going to be able to even move on. And even then, sometimes you can't move on from your anxiety and worry when you understand that stuff. And that's because worry and anxiety, and anxiety in particular, some, other times it's just like this biological response that we can't easily get to the bottom of here. And so I, sometimes I think we twist this little passage, and there's another passage like this in Matthew, and we really kind of guilt trip Christians that feel anxious and kind of go, you're sinning. And notice Jesus, Jesus is giving us his way of life, but he's not, he doesn't seem to be talking in sin categories. Maybe I'm missing that uh, there, but he, he's, he's trying to lead them into what it means to be rich toward God and in the kingdom. But I will say this. I think what Jesus says there is challenging us in some ways. And I think the way that Jesus is, is challenging us is he's saying this, you can feed worry when you shouldn't. I think all of us as humans, we can feed our worries, we can feed our anxieties when we really shouldn't. And I think that's the challenge Jesus gives us. Not to mention, I think the challenge Jesus is giving us is, I, it's almost like he's saying, I know life is like that, but this is what life in my kingdom is like. Live into that reality. Dwell on that reality. Think about that reality. I think what Jesus is really saying is don't feed worry by living a life of survival and consumption. Instead, in those moments when you feel worry, when you find yourself feeding worry, ask yourself the question, what does it mean to seek the kingdom right now? Instead of feeding worry, instead go, okay, what does it mean for me to seek the kingdom right now? 
And I think when you live into that more and more, when you understand your kingdom identity more and more, when you understand what Jesus has done for you more and more, you don't feed worry as much. It's easier to not feed worry and to not let that grow into multitudes of worries. Again, caveat that with all the things I said in the beginning about anxiety and worry. I just feel like a lot of times pastors talk about anxiety and worry. We don't even know what we're talking about because of how complex it is. But, again, Jesus is still challenging us. He's saying, he's saying don't feed worry. Instead, seek first the kingdom. And I've found that those that seek first the kingdom, seek the kingdom of God, look for what God is doing in this world and participate in that, those that do that often have this freedom of contentment because Jesus' yoke is easy. Life as a Christian isn't necessarily easy, but often what happens is you, this contentment grows in you because of the Spirit and the work that the Spirit's doing in you. And so let your mind, instead of be consumed with feeding worry and worrying more and survival or being obsessed with survival and how to care for yourself, let your mind be obsessed with seeking the kingdom. Be obsessed with where God is moving in this world and participating with him in that. Because I think kingdom seeking will lead to contentment and consumption seeking will lead to more worry and, and, and in particular, money and material seeking will lead, usually lead you to more worry as well. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Okay? All right, third thing. Third thing from this passage that we can learn that helps us in our efforts to be rich toward God. It's this. The things that you treat like treasure are what you treasure. Okay? Pretty obvious. I'm just repeating what Jesus said. This is why if you're like, you're a good preacher, I'm like, no, it was actually Jesus. I'm just regurgitating. Uh, the things that you treat like treasure are what you treasure. This is like just a great, good way to examine your hearts. What do you treat like treasure? What do you hoard? What do you want more of? What do you look like like it's a pile of gold? Right? What are those things that you look at and gaze at and see and treat like it's treasure? That's what you treasure. Right? And often, what we treasure is not what we say or what we think we treasure. And that's why I think Jesus has to make this point. He has to go, hey, what you're treasuring is actually what you treasure. That's actually what your heart's close to. Because what we say we treasure is often not what we treasure. Here's an example. All of us would say we treasure our friendships, or those of us with kids would say we treasure our kids. Yet how many of us, when our kids are right in front of us, or our friends are right in front of us, have our phone right in front of us? And we're just looking at it like it's just this beautiful, it's like the ring from Lord of the Rings, and we just can't, and we're just like, this is my precious, and oh man, if I turn it black, I could see my reflection. Like they're just like, right? You guys don't do that? Maybe that's just me. Um, and the reason we look at that, it's not so much we treasure our phones. We treasure this dopamine hit that the social media companies have figured out how to get us, and, but it goes away because it's like a drug, and that's a different sermon. But anyways, we treasure this dopamine hit that we're getting from our phones, and so we look at our phones all the time, even when my precious daughters and son are in front of me saying, Dad, play with me. I'm like, hold on, I've got to read this tweet. Or our friends are in front of us saying, I'm making time for you. I love you. I care about you. Hold on, I've got to read this text. From a different friend. <laughs> what you look at like treasure is what you actually treasure. 
Even if that's not what you say you treasure, even if that's not what you think you treasure, what you treat like treasure is your treasure. That's what you hold close to your heart. And Jesus, I think, is making the point here that the same goes for money, that many of us actually treasure treasure itself. Do you look at the numbers in your bank account again like how Smeagol looks at the ring? Do you look for ways to get more money, make more money, spend more money, so much so that the treasure you treasure is actually just self-security and money helps you get that self-security? That's what Jesus is getting at here. If your treasure is what makes you self-secure, if you look at it like it's treasure, like a dragon looks at his pile of treasure, that's what you treasure. And Jesus is saying to us, Himself, his kingdom, and even his people are far, are, are far more worth treasuring than the things that we often treasure and look at. And so just ask yourself, Christian, what do you look at like treasure? What do you treat like treasure? That's what you treasure. Even if you say, even if you think it's not, that's what you treat like treasure. Which brings me to kind of the fourth thing in this passage that we can learn and what it means to be rich toward God I think Jesus is teaching us this. I think he says this. If you really want to invest your money, if you really want to invest your money as a citizen of God's kingdom, the way to do it, give to the poor. If you really want to invest your money as a citizen of God's kingdom, give your money to the poor. When I was uh, in college, or maybe right out of college, I lived in this apartment complex with a bunch of my friends from college, and we all lived in the apartment complex. And I remember... Uh, this one night, one of my friends was going around in the apartment complex and was telling everybody to invest $500 in something. And it was this thing called Bitcoin, okay? And he was telling everybody, this was like 2010, 8, 9, I don't know, somewhere in there, in that range. And he was saying, and just, hey, he was like begging us. He was like, hey, you have $500, right, right, right? I didn't. But he would be like, go put that in Bitcoin, and you're going to be rich, not right now, but eventually you're going to be rich. And I was like, dude, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Like, I'm going to McDonald's. I'm not going to spend $500. I'll spend $500 on McDonald's, not Bitcoin. What even, do you bite the coins? Like, what is this Bitcoin? And I had no idea what it is. All of a sudden, Bitcoin's going through the roof in the last number of years. And I think about that moment all the time. I would have been a millionaire. I would have been a millionaire, like, if I did that. But I didn't do that, and I regret it all of the time. Like, I'm not even joking. Anytime I have something expensive, I was like, I should have listened to Denny. Like, that's why I should have listened to him. I think about that moment all of the time. I think some of my friends did. I don't know. They don't tell me if they did or not, but I, they seem richer to me now. And so I think maybe they did. I think what Jesus is showing us in this passage is what we, as kingdom people, are really supposed to invest our money in. Where we are really supposed to invest our money. By giving it to the poor. That, he says, gives us an, a return on our investment in the eternal kingdom of God where nothing wears out. I, I, when we give to the poor... That's the truly good investment we can make, Jesus is saying. He's saying there's lots of things you can do with your money. You want to really invest it? Invest it by giving to the poor. And then you're going to get a return unlike any other. I don't, I, and I, I don't know how that works out. When Jesus returns, okay, 
And to be clear, it's not our giving to the poor that gets us into the kingdom of God. That's not true at all. It doesn't say that in scripture. But what I do know that Jesus is saying here is he's saying something like this. Do you want to make a real investment that really matters? Investing in the kingdom where nothing wears out. Give your money to the poor. Give your money to people that need it. It's, it's a pretty straightforward teaching that I feel like we miss a lot. I don't, I don't want to get to the resurrection and realize I missed out on a bigger investment than Bitcoin. Now listen, the beauty of the resurrection is we're not going to have regrets like that. When we get to the resurrection, we're not going to go, oh, I did it, do that, like, and live with all these regrets. That's the beauty of the resurrection. But, so my analogy falls apart, but here what Jesus is teaching us, he's saying investing in his kingdom where there's going to be some sort of reward, a way to do that is by giving to the poor. It's, pre- it's pretty plainly said right there. Some of the real work of God's kingdom citizens is to invest in the poor. Invest by giving to the poor. And I, how, I don't know how often we as Christians highly rank giving to the poor as one of the crucial ministries of, of the people of God. Or how often we, do we correlate seeking first the kingdom or seeking the kingdom with giving to the poor? Jesus seems to. Verse 31, seek the kingdom. Verse 32 through 34, here's how this plays out. Giving to the poor. Seeking the kingdom, living, investing in the kingdom. The, Jesus seems to say giving to the poor is the, the way to do that. One of the ways to do that. And so church, how often do we see and use our money in that way? How often do we look for ways to care for the poor and give to the poor, thinking, I'm making an investment that's eternal by doing this. An investment that will go on forever by giving to those that need money. That's what Jesus teaches us. As a church, I think we have to find ways to invest in the poor. I mean, it's your funeral. Jesus says, hey, invest in this thing. Like, you, it's, it, like I don't know. It, it can't get much clearer than that, I feel like. Why ignore it? Why ignore our Lord and Savior who say, hey, I want to tell you how, to, how you should really invest your money by giving to the poor. We should listen to that. We should, we should find ways to give to the poor. It's a church. I would encourage, my encouragement to you is give to the poor, give to those that need it till it hurts. I, I really, I would suggest read that book I suggested at the beginning, When Helping Hurts. Read that book because I, I know right now a bunch of you with lots of money are going, there's all these caveats building up in you like, what about this person? What about, like, okay, okay, calm down. I just I wonder if you'd be saying that to Jesus' face when he was teaching this. But anyways... Read When Helping Hurts because it does help you kind of flesh out this idea a bit more and, and bring in a lot of scripture to help us fully understand what, what it means for us as God's people when it comes to caring for the poor. But church, Jesus teaches us a real investment, a good investment that we should make is giving to the poor. How, much, how many of us? think that way about our money and think, I'm investing in the kingdom. I'm investing into eternity by giving to the poor. 
Like I said two weeks ago, there are a million and one great organizations that do great work that you can give to and that will fundamentally change people's lives by giving very little. Seek those out. Do the research. Figure out which ones you want to give to. Okay, so where does that leave us? Another sermon where we're convicted, like a couple weeks ago. And I say this, I hope so. I hope it does leave us convicted. Following Jesus is full of being convicted. Right? Jesus is walking us out of our selfishness. He's walking us out of our non-kingdom living type ways. He's telling us about, us about his real kingdom, his true kingdom that's so different than our kingdom. And so very often he's pointing out how we're living into a broken, sinful kingdom. And that's going to be convicting. He's walking us into love, what it means to truly love, truly be human. And because of that, sometimes there's going to be conviction. It's okay to be convicted by Jesus. He doesn't want us to sit in guilt. The cross and Jesus' blood covers that. But sometimes we're going to be convicted in a healthy way. And so if this sermon has left us kind of feeling convicted, part of me would say, good. Sometimes it's a good thing to be convicted. Sometimes it's good to go, man, I... I didn't realize that. I should change. I should be different. And following Jesus is going to be full of being convicted. But in the midst of that, my encouragement to us is the same encouragement I made two weeks ago at the end of this sermon is, I don't want us to just kind of go away feeling guilty, and then we're just going to give to the next you know, commercial that makes us sad type of a thing, and, or just for the rest of the day just feeling bad, you know, and pay it forward at Starbucks or whatever we end up doing. Like, I don't want us to just kind of feel guilty that wears off. I, I want us to feel truly convicted, truly understand what it means for us to live into, us, into this as, as kingdom citizens of God. And, and the way to really do that well is to remember that as Jesus calls us to be rich toward God, God has been rich toward us. It's remembering the gospel, that the gospel is a story of God's generosity to us, his people. And so we as his people, we don't earn our way into the kingdom. We've been already brought into the kingdom. And now how we live is in response to that. It is worshiping God for that. It is thanking him. It is loving because of how we've been loved. And the same goes for our money. How we use our money, I don't want us to be guilt-tripped. I want us to remember the gospel, the good news of what God has done, and he's shown us so much of his generosity. God has brought us into his kingdom free of charge. Although that's not true, there was actually a charge. It just wasn't to any of us. It was to his son, Jesus. And the charge was made to his own life, with his own blood, on the cross. As we see these scenes in the Gospels of Jesus' blood flowing down the cross, we have to remember that Jesus' blood was paying the entry fee into the kingdom for each of us. His very life was what he was willing to give to get us into the kingdom. That word redeem in the Old Testament, the, the, the word that our church is named after essentially, has these strong connotations of someone paying the cost to get someone out of any kind of bad situation, but in particular slavery. Jesus' blood gets us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Jesus paid the cost. So now we can use our money to pay for others' costs as an act of worship. One of the riches that God has given us 
that we have right now and we'll get the full profit of and the full experience of later is the resurrection. Jesus also resurrected and he didn't keep the resurrection for himself. He said, this is coming to you guys. I'm giving this to you guys. What do you got to do? Just look at me. Just believe in me. Just trust in me. You don't have to do anything. The resurrection shows how generous God has been to us. We are going to live into eternity. Every time we're sad because of the mortality of this world and of our lives, we can say, Jesus has something better for me in the resurrection. And when it's hard for us to give and to use our money in these different ways, if we remember how generous God has been to us, it becomes a little bit easier. You become what you worship. We are responding to God. We are worshiping him when we're generous. This is how his kingdom is. And so if we're convicted, I'm sorry if that makes you feel bad, but let's root our conviction and the generosity of God in all those sorts of ways towards us. Then we'll be able to do these things. Then we'll be able to be rich toward God and not feel like we're just earning our way into heaven. It's already been earned. How do we then take that gift and invest and give it to others. That's what Jesus invited us into. And so church, may we realize that God has brought us into his kingdom. May we seek his kingdom rather than the kingdoms of consumption. May we invest our treasure rightly. And may we care for the poor generously and wisely. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your generosity towards us. Thank you for your word. Jesus, you teach hard things sometimes. And I think that a lot of us, and myself included, God, we, just, we try to wiggle out of it. We try to find a way to not listen to this hard thing or help us see how you're not teaching a hard thing and when you really are. And so, God, just convict us the ways you want us to convict us. And then God, also, if I was too heavy-handed in moments, because I think sometimes we take your word and we're too heavy-handed with it, I pray that you just kind of mind wipe us and help us to not be affected by that heavy-handedness. But God, let us be so rooted in your generosity towards us that we, as this body of believers, become generous to the world. God, what if our reputation became as a church that when someone worked with us or was in class with us or knew us, they, they just thought, man, those redemption people, they're very generous. They give a lot of their money away. They care for the needs of the community and the world around them. God, I would love that to be part of our identity as a witness to you because that's what you do, God. So God, help us to live into that. Help us to understand our kingdom identity so truly, so holy that we live into it out of worship, out of love, not out of um, begrudging compliance or obligation. So God, we love you. We need you. And Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us in this way. And Father, we need you to remind us that you've joyfully brought us into the kingdom. Amen.